Good morning. Just to extend my own welcome to you, uh, particularly if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Phil, as has been said, and uh, I'm married to Vicky. We've got three children, and uh, I work uh, for the NHS as a manager up at Kingsmill Hospital, where I've been for the last four years. As has been said, today we're carrying on our series on our cultural values. These are 10 things that are important to us as a church, 10 things that we believe, if you spend any time amongst us, you will experience and see through the way that we are. And this week we're looking at We Serve. We've already covered about eight, I think it is, of our cultural values, and they're all uh, available as talks on our website, so please do check those out if you haven't heard them. And also you can find the description of each ten on our website, so please do uh, head on there and have a look. But we serve. Let's read it. Jesus showed us that true joy comes through putting others' needs before our own. We give our time and talents to play our part in church life and to serve the most vulnerable in Nottingham. Now, before we get into this properly, I think it's worth saying that I'm not standing here claiming to be the best server out there. In fact, if you talk to friends at my local badminton club, I think they'd agree that it's my forehand smash that's my real strength. (laughs) But if we're not talking about serving from a sports point of view, which I know will be disappointing for some of you, and to a certain extent me, um, what are we talking about? Well... As the description says, we're talking about expressing love through putting others' needs before our own, working for the benefit of others. But first and foremost, serving is an attitude. It's an expression of our hearts. And so it's our hearts I really want us to focus on this morning. So to help us do that, we're going to read from uh, Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came up to him, that's Jesus, with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink. They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, that's the other disciples, they were indignant at the two brothers. Now my guess is they're just grumpy because the others got in there first, but anyway. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever must be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, again that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we're going to spend a lot of uh, this morning looking at the latter part of that passage, and particularly Jesus' words, and how Jesus served and the implications for us. But before we do that, I want us to take a look at the mother and her two sons, James and John. As we always try when we're reading the Bible, we try and put ourselves in the story and imagine what what it was like to be there. 
But I think it can be quite difficult with a, a passage like this. It was a particularly unique, unique time in the world's history, Jesus walking the earth. Quite difficult to put yourself in the shoes of the mother or her two sons. But let's have a go anyway. So, I'm a man called Phil. We've established that. I've got a brother. He's called Nathaniel. Most of you won't know that. And I've got a mother. So far, so good. We're in the story. But I can't recall there ever being a time when my mum approached anybody with a request on my behalf quite like this. But let's have a go at imagining it in some modern-day scenario. So let's imagine my mum approaches the manager of a top, top football club. I'm thinking Manchester United a few years ago, not, not the team that drew nil-nil with Crystal Palace yesterday. <laughs> but she says, Sir Alex, very respectful. I've got two sons. One's called Phil, the other's called Gary. I mean Nathaniel. Although if you want to imagine the Neville brothers, that might be easier. She says, I know one of them is, better at footballer, uh, is a better footballer than the other, which incidentally is true of me and my brother and the Neville brothers. <laughs> but I want you to play both of them all of the time. One at right back, one at left back. Make them the most capped players in United's history. Gary should be captain, and Phil should take penalties. <laughs> It'd be a strange situation, ill-judged, particularly the bit about me slash Phil Neville taking penalties, and certainly not one with Manchester United's interests at heart. Well, in a far more serious, uh, far more serious way, this is what the mother and her two sons are doing. They're thinking purely about their own desires, how Jesus can serve them, not how they can serve him or God's agenda, i.e. they're wanting to be served. And of course, this has its roots right back in the fall. If we think back to Genesis, God's plan for mankind was that we would look after the world that he had created on his behalf, serving his agenda, serving God, and serving one another. But we know the story. Adam and Eve made a choice. They chose to serve themselves instead of God and one another. And amongst the many catastrophic impacts was the effect that that had on the desire of our hearts. Mankind's desires became selfish, the antithesis of servant-hearted. Serving others became frustrating, and we are born wanting to serve ourselves, not God or one another. And that's what we see in the story in the mother and her two sons. But in fairness to the mum in the story, she does recognise who Jesus is. And she does recognise the coming of his kingdom. Now, whatever her interpretation of that was, we know from reading the rest of the New Testament that when Jesus returns, he'll renew the heaven and the earth and he'll bring an end to pain and suffering. And when that day comes, when God's kingdom is fully recognised and we all live in perfection with him, all of those who have put our trust in him, we will still be serving him. Selfish ambition will be gone. Our hearts and motives will be fully pure. And we will serve Jesus perfectly. There's a scene in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, which describes this. And it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, will be in it. And his servants, us, will worship him. 
Now, interestingly, in some versions of the Bible, that word worship is translated as serve. When we serve, we are putting God's agenda first. And we are saying, God, I recognize who you are, I recognize who I am, and I want to worship you by serving your agenda. But before we were Christians, those of us who are, and before God had changed our hearts, we were stuck, like Adam and Eve, serving our own agenda. And even now, those of us who do know Jesus and would say we're Christians and are following him, we can still find serving God and serving others hard. We have mixed motives. We're on a journey. We know we're works in progress. But there's hope for all of us. So let's look at Jesus, the ultimate servant. One of the most amazing truths of all time, I think, is what Jesus says of himself in these verses. He says of himself the king of the universe, the one through whom all things were made, he says that he came to serve, not to be served. And particularly this time of year, we get so used to the nativity, Jesus being born with the animals around the back of the inn because there wasn't any room, that I think we can forget the magnitude of the depths that Jesus plummeted even just to participate in this world. And he didn't just come and participate in humanity in a half-hearted way. He didn't just separate himself off and live in splendid isolation in a privileged position. He got his hands dirty. He immersed himself in the grit and the grime of this world. He spent time with those who others despised. And he came and served the people who are most afflicted by darkness. He demonstrated what it is to serve. He went around healing the sick. He set people free, previously oppressed by darkness and demons. And he met people's physical, day-to-day needs, feeding people with a few, thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fishes. And he provided high-quality wine at a wedding when it had run out. And we're rightly in awe of these things, these expressions of love from Jesus, these acts of service. But none of them compare to his greatest act of service. Not only did Jesus come to earth in the first place, mix it with the riffraff, heal, give people hope and life, meet people's physical needs. But he suffered a horrendous death at the very hands of the people he came to serve. And Jesus expresses that in these verses. He asks James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And the term drink the cup is a figure of speech, meaning suffering. In the Old Testament, the cup of wine represented God's wrath against human sin and rebellion. So when Jesus talks about drinking the cup, he's talking about fully taking and experiencing the punishment of our sins that would otherwise be due to us. And that was his greatest act of service. He took punishment so that we can go free. He gave his life so that we could have eternal life. But not only did he give his life in that way, dying on the cross, he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he continues to serve us there today. He prays for us, he's active in our lives, and he continues to set people free and perform miracles through his Holy Spirit, who is at work in each one of us who knows him. Now, if you're new to this, that's a lot to take in. If you're not new to this, That's a lot to take in. (laughs) 
In a moment, we're going to talk about what this means for our lives and how we can serve God and one another. But before we do that, if there is anyone here who isn't a Christian, who you wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus, I want to give you permission to ignore everything else that I'm about to say this morning, apart from this one next bit. Why don't you let Jesus serve you today? He wants to take away your guilt. He's offering you hope, freedom, love, joy, and peace. And all he wants from you is for you to believe in him and entrust yourself to him. For the rest of us, what does it mean for our lives? Well, as we were hearing about last week, when Jesus breaks into our lives, he makes us new creations. He gives us a new heart, a new desire to follow him. He does something supernatural in us that reorientates our desires and reverses the impact of the fall. Without that, we can't serve God and his agenda or his purposes for our lives. But with us, he fills us with a desire to go his way and he enables us by the power of his Holy Spirit in us to serve him. And as we do so, as we follow him, we are increasingly being transformed and conformed into the likeness of Jesus. And we are filled with the same love that motivated Jesus to obey his Father and serve us by going to the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I want to be motivated by love. There's lots of good stuff. Valuable causes that people give time, money, and effort into in this world. And they bring genuine benefit. I'm not doing that down at all. But as it says in 1 Corinthians, if I give all I have away and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It is our hearts God's after. And he wants us to grow in our love for him and for others. And that's where our motivation to serve increasingly comes from as we grow. Think of it this way. I'm sure this would be the first thought that came to mind. We've got a dishwasher at home. We used to have a slimline one. We've recently upgraded to a full-size one. Exciting times in the half a household, I tell you. <clears throat> it's had a pretty huge impact on our lives. But I know, as a relatively educated man, that there are some items that cannot go in the dishwasher. Wooden items. Don't put them in. Ancient plastics from the 1960s. They cannot hack the heat. So I know that these things need washing up manually, using hands and everything. But the fact that I know this is a good idea doesn't itself motivate me or drive me into action. The thing that motivates me on the occasions when I do wash up is that if I don't, Vicky will have to do it. And she already spends 80% or more of her time clearing up after the children and to a lesser extent me. <laughs> so in some small way, I am motivated by love for Vicky and by extension for our family to serve in this way. Big deal, hey? <laughs> it would be a bit depressing for me, and even more so, I'm guessing, for Vicky, if that remained the extent of the expression of my love for her through serving. God doesn't want to leave us half-heartedly loving and following him going through life, doing the equivalent of the occasional bit of washing up. He's after our hearts, and he's committed 
to conforming us into Jesus' likeness. He's committed to, to changing our motives and helping us to serve as Jesus served. The Bible even talks about how God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk into. That's not a passive thing. He does ask us to respond and to take action ourselves. As we've read in these verses, others wield power and influence others for their own gain. But that's not the way it's meant to be amongst God's people. We're meant to serve one another, deliberately and actively putting others' needs above our own. The desires are there because of what God's done in our hearts. But we need to cultivate that attitude by taking action. I think it can be so tempting to not take action in all sorts of areas of life because we can recognize we've got mixed motives and we're worried about being a fraud or because we just generally feel inadequate and feel like we're not going to be able to do something. But actually, by serving in our day-to-day lives and in church life, serving those around us, God changes our motives. When I first started coming to Grace Church 15 years ago, can you believe it? I know, I must have been a toddler. (laughs) I had all sorts of mixed motives. I'd spent my first year of university, very young undergraduate, I must say, um, finding my feet in Nottingham. I was making friends, enjoying myself, but not prioritizing following Jesus or participating in church. Part of it was just immaturity, and partly I just wanted to do my own thing for a while, which I guess is another way of describing immaturity. Um, <laughs> but in the, <laughs> in the summer of my, after my first year, I spent some time with the church in my hometown that I'd previously been part of. And uh, I came to realize that I'd been missing out. Notice the mature perspective I had. I'd missed out. Anyway, I came back to university with a resolve to get actively involved in the church. And I was pretty sure Grace Church was the place I should start. And I'm still here. And that's what I did. I was studying a subject that gave me a certain amount of flexibility in my schedule. (laughs) I had six, sometimes climbing to eight hours of contact time a week. (laughs) Yes. And obviously, I spent the rest of the time reading and studying. But when I wasn't doing those things, I got actively involved in church life. With the time I had available, I helped to sort church conferences. I organized rotors for Sunday mornings. I would get into church early each week, help get things set up, help run some teams, and it was great. But hand on heart, my motives were mixed. Part of it was good. God had opened my eyes to see that I wasn't serving him and his agenda, and I wanted to respond to that. That's a good thing. But partly, I just had insecurities. I wanted to have some friends. I wanted to be liked, and I wanted to be part of something. But I do look back at those times, and I know that it was vital for my own personal growth. And in a small way, my serving was good for Grace Church too. God used those times to shape me more into Jesus' likeness, whilst at the same time, it was meeting an actual need. And that's one of the encouraging things. As well as God working in our hearts to make us more like Jesus, we get to play our part in extending God's kingdom. What that looks like for each one of us will vary, but it's all valid. I, uh, I love the story, which may or may not be true, but hey, who cares? It's a good story. Um, <laughs> apparently, during a visit to the NASA Space Center in 1962, President JFK 
was going to do some sort of speech, and he took a wrong turn and ended up down some sort of service corridor. He came across a caretaker, cleaner, or as the Americans would say, janitor. Brilliant accent. Uh, cleaning, and and that, that caretaker or janitor was cleaning his mop, and uh, the president said, hi, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? The janitor replied, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Serving, even in what may appear to be a small way, isn't about doing down the part we're playing. It can be tempting to think it's really humble to do so. Oh, I'm just doing such and such. Shucks. But actually, I believe God wants us to have a vision for our serving that includes all of the things we've talked about, about being changed into the likeness of Jesus, but also one that recognizes he's brought us into his mission to build his church and extend his love across the world. And if man goes to the moon again, maybe there too. Every seemingly small or significant way in which we serve contributes to that huge mission, and we all have a part to play in that. What that looks like from person to person will vary enormously, and it will depend on, amongst other things, I think two key things, timing and talents. The way in which we serve will vary massively according to the season of life we're in. However, because serving is first and foremost an expression of our hearts, we can still be serving even when it feels like we've got nothing to give or we don't have the capacity. Let me illustrate it with a personal example. As I've already said, there was a time when I had a lot of time in my schedule. And I could commit to all sorts of serving activities at church, and I did. And that was great. It was character building, and I like to think it was at least of some use to people that I was helping at the time. It'd be easy to think that, say, 14, 15 years on from that, as a more mature Christian, I would be giving even more time to church activities and to serving here. But in the last three years, Vicky and I have adopted three young children. And as well as being a joy and a privilege, it has been the most challenging period of our lives. I won't bore you with the details, but suffice to, suffice to say, it's been exhausting emotionally and physically, and we've not had a lot else to give. The reality is the capacity that we've had over and above just getting through each day has been very, very limited. I've got a busy and responsible job, but I've cut down my hours to support family life. But even with that, to manage the challenges we've had, we've been, been unable to cope with lots of evenings out, lots of, meet, uh, lots of meetings, or loads of commitments on a Sunday. My main contribution has been serving in the STARS team, which has been great. And I'm not saying this to get your sympathy, although hugs are always welcome, <laughs> um, but rather to make a wider point. It would be easy for me to get into all sorts of self-condemnation because I've not been able to be active in lots of areas of church life. But I really do believe that we've been serving just in a different way. Our children have come from a very challenging background. And as a church, as we referred to, as we read the description of this value at the beginning, Jesus asks us to serve the vulnerable. And that's the major way in which Vicky and I have been serving over the last three years. So whatever season of life you are in, whether you have capacity to do stuff or not, it's our hearts God is after. And we can express that 
in all sorts of different ways as we serve his agenda. Yep, we have teams of people serving in all sorts of ways on a Sunday, and that is hugely appreciated. The kids' work team have been absolutely amazing for our three children. There are genuine things that need to be done to make church happen. And serving on a Sunday is an accessible way to get involved in the life of the church. But in a very similar way to what John was saying two weeks ago about our financial giving, God doesn't need either our money or the outputs of our serving. He's after our hearts and our worship. And both giving and serving are expressions of that that we want to be growing in. So I'm really not trying to guilt anyone this morning into doing more for church. That would be somewhat hypocritical. However, there may be some people who hear this message and do feel challenged about whether they are making the most of the time and the talents God has given them. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to respond with action. I've avoided getting too practical, but as I said earlier, as we respond to Jesus' call to serve him and those around us, he changes us and helps us to grow more into his likeness. Also, have you considered this? Jesus has made each one of us unique. We've all got our own quirks and idiosyncrasies, our gifts, our talents, the other stuff. And if you're not playing part, your part in church life through serving, it's a missed opportunity for others to experience the benefit that you can bring. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. We can help each other grow as we serve alongside one another. The Bible also talks about the church being like a body. Body's got different parts, each with different functions. And that same is true of the church. We've each got a different role to play. And we're each made by God and equipped very differently to do different things. And that's all good. You may not know yet what your talents are. I'm still working it out. If you've got any ideas, please come and let me know. <laughs> but I'd encourage you that just by serving in the things God puts in front of you, he will not only shape you, but he will help you to understand your gifts and your talents. And if you don't know what the opportunities are that God's put in front of you, that just sounds like a bit of Christian waffle, well then that's fine, let's get practical. Why don't you pick up one of our booklets on serving, you can find them in the welcome area. It's a great introduction in how to get involved in one of our serving teams. Have the band up, please. Perhaps your season of life means your participation in what we would traditionally consider to be serving activities at church is very limited, like mine's been over the last few years. Well, let me encourage you with this. We have personally experienced others serving us in a particular way over the last few years. Lots of people in this room have regularly prayed for us as we've gone through some really difficult times. That form of serving is not visible, but it's invaluable. Serving is an expression of our hearts, and that is what God is after. But the encouragement to all of us is let's cultivate it, whatever that looks like in our lives. In a moment, we're going to sing a song through. And as we do so, I want us to focus on Jesus, the one who came to serve, the ultimate servant. And let's give our hearts to him and our worship, because that is what he's after. Yes, we need to respond with action, 
but it's not the outputs of our striving or our serving that God's after. And the first action God always wants us to take anyway is for us to turn to him. So let's do that now. All the rest will come after.